Silvana, you rascal. I come up here to my table and I got this. In 2015, uh, and I'm not going to preach with it on, but uh, in 2015, our little team triathlon with Andrea, Richard, and I won the gold medal in our age division, um, <clears throat> the older folks. Uh, and uh, then we did again this year, but I never got my medal for 2015, but somebody took care of that. What are you doing? Oh. There you go. Thank you. Thank you. Andrea and Richard already got there. So, all right. Uh, Richard's in the sound booth there. Andrea's right in front of him. Everybody, give him a hand. Yeah. This is great, but I don't think I can preach in that thing. I'll have it flying all over or something like that. So, I'm just going to move these back here, lest I knock them over. Thank you, Silvana. Very nice of you. Uh, Silvana is a medal winner as well. I mean, a couple of silvers and a bronze this time. Four medals total. Yeah. Yeah. So we can give her a hand. You're going, of course you're going, what are we giving her a hand for? Well, she does table tennis. So she's like this perennial champion, you know, she's this little powerhouse of a Pakistani lady that she can really, she's got moves, right? Yeah, <laughs> maybe, shh, shh, we're not going to talk about anybody's ages, I will tell you that our division in the team triathlon is called 90 plus, um, not because we go that slow, but because it's our combined ages, and you know, my age gets us more, almost like more than half the way there, right? <laughs> Um, but the, 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 the good thing is that this morning I am here. I have not ridden a bicycle race this morning. I do not smell bad. I made sure that I used my deodorant, took a shower, well, took a shower, used my deodorant, and put on cologne, and I have clean clothes on. So you're all good, even though you're sitting further away. But we come this morning to study about worship. Why do we gather? Why do we gather? And uh, no Cornhusker State Games events today, but why do we gather? And again, we have various scriptures. And so uh, we're going to be turning here, there, and wherever, but I want to invite you to turn with me to begin with to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And many of you will recognize the verses that we'll start with, verse 16 and 17, and those aren't on your outline. You can write them down. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. If you're looking at your sermon outline right now, or you've already looked at it because now you're looking at your Bible to turn, you see that it says five different times, blank the word, blank the word, blank the word, blank the word, blank the word. The word, God's word, capital W word. And so our worship and why we gather is all centered on God's Word. Obviously, our church is a little different than other churches, a distinctive of Southview Baptist Church, a distinctive of Southern Baptist Church, a distinctive of evangelical churches, is that we tend to focus our worship on the preaching and teaching of God's Word. What's the difference between preaching and teaching? Well, I'm preaching now. I would teach in a Sunday school class. Each of them should have a little element of another. But the preaching is exhortation, proclamation of God's Word. And there's even special words in the Bible for that. But notice what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. It says, All Scripture is God-breathed. It's inspired, breathed out by God, and is useful for 
teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Everything we need in life, every good work God intends us to do, we can be equipped for that through God's Word. Now, you could get smart and say, well, Pastor Aaron, God's Word doesn't say how to fly airplanes. No, it's not a manual for how to fly an airplane. But it informs the heart of the pilot of that airplane. It informs the work ethic of the pilot of that airplane. So God's Word equips us for everything that God intends us to do. People from time to time ask me about preaching. And... um, You know, I've been doing it for a few years now. I guess I preached my first sermon actually before I was a believer in Jesus when I was 15. And so I trusted Christ as my Savior 30 years ago, and I've been preaching ever since. And, you know, for the past, I don't know, 20 years, pretty much every Sunday, sometimes two times on Sunday, uh, depending on the church and those sort of things. And preaching is a scary and humbling thing. I need to remember, as Calvin Miller said as a preacher, and let me get this right. He said, preaching is the art in which a studied professional sinner tells the less studied sinners how they ought to believe, behave, and serve. Can I get an amen? Dr. Calvin Miller that planted Westside Church over in Omaha. A studied professional sinner. Yes, I'm a professional. I've been to seminary to know how to talk like this. But don't get all in awe of me because, please don't, because I'm certainly fallible and I'm a sinner. You know, Spurgeon talked about it as one sinner, uh, one beggar telling other beggars where to find bread. And that's my job is to say, okay, here's what I've studied from God's Word. And based on what I know of God's church and the way you've prayed for me and the Holy Spirit's spoken to me, these are the things we need to consider as a church family. Now, the challenge, of course, is that every week I know that there's 200 plus of you that have all sorts of different things on your mind when you're sitting there. And I have to pray, God, would you speak to them by your spirit through something we study today. So as we come to the study of God's word, and today we're specifically speaking about how it applies to worship, it's our prayer that God would speak to us individually. Let's pray together right now. Our Father in heaven, we're so very humbled that you called us together, that you've saved us by your grace, and that you give us your word. And that by your word, you still speak to us today. And each and every one of us, whether we're a professional or just a regular Joe or Joanne, can read the Bible for ourselves and your spirit can speak to us. And you teach us about yourself and you teach us about ourselves. And you teach us how we should live. So God, we pray now that as we study this idea of worship, and applying your word to our life that by your spirit you would teach us even now. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. So number one on your outline is preach the word. I already tipped my hand to that one. Number one is preach the word. When we gather together for worship, the preeminent thing we want to do is preach the word. If you consider how our service is made up, it's about an hour and a half in length. It's supposed to be an hour and 20 minutes, but sometimes the Yahoo preacher goes a little bit long. Trust me, Miss Myra plans it out to the minute, so if we ever go long, it's my fault, okay? It's not Myra's fault. Um, and, I, you know, I get a little excited about things from time to time, and I get a little long-winded from time to time. I try not to. I try to hold your attention. But we preach 
the word. And as we preach, the God by his Holy Spirit manifests himself to each and every one of us in a different way. It is amazing to me, and it's almost without fail. If I stand by that back door on a Sunday, somebody will walk by and shake my hand, and I'll greet them, and they'll say something. Pastor, when you said fill in the blank in your sermon, that was perfect for me. And I have to think back, did I even say that? And I don't say that to people, so please don't freak out. But it may be something that was extemporaneous. It may be something that was on the tip of my tongue. and maybe certainly something that came from the Holy Spirit that I didn't plan to say, but I said it. And why did it come out of my mouth? Because you needed it. Or there'll be other times when somebody will say, Pastor, when you told that story, uh, that's the story I needed to hear today. When did you plan on telling that story? Or better yet, when did you plan on preaching that scripture? And I'm like, man, I planned my preaching six months ago. And I knew I would tell that story three months ago. But you needed it today? That's God's Holy Spirit at work. We preach the word and God, by his Holy Spirit, uses it. Your first scripture you need to turn to there, referenced as 2 Timothy 4.2. Now, I already asked you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. So uh, just write down the page for you is verse 2. Paul, writing to Timothy, his son in the ministry, he was like a mentor-protege relationship, and Paul's left Timothy to be a pastor at another church that he planted, and he's given him instruction. And he says here, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. That's what pastors are charged to do. Preach. Not just preach anything, but preach the Word. Now, it's not a capital W there, but it means God's Word. And then we're to be prepared in season and out of season. That means anytime somebody comes and asks us a question. Friends, there's a lot of you, and y'all are some smart folks. And y'all ask some great questions. And some of you have asked me questions, may not be surprised. When you ask me a question, I go, hmm... I remember studying that years ago, but man, I'm going to have to go back to the Bible to look up the reference for that, because I know it says this, but where does it say it in the Bible? I've forgotten by now, and it ain't that I'm dumb. Now, I said it that way on purpose. It ain't that I'm dumb. Thank you. Texanism coming out there, but I want to give you the right answer. I don't want to answer you wrong, because my job is to correct, rebuke, encourage, and how am I supposed to do that with great? patience, and careful instruction. So I should not take for granted my responsibility to preach the word for you in the manner in which I do it and why I do it. Turn to Acts chapter 2, verse 42, your next scripture reference. And so if you're in 2 Timothy, swing over to your left through the bigger books of Corinthians and Romans and you get to Acts chapter 2. If you're familiar with the book of Acts, you know that in Acts chapter 2 is the coming of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is ascended unto heaven. He told his disciples to wait here. And they get together at a meeting at Pentecost. And uh, Peter preaches and the Holy Spirit descends upon them. And these Jewish folks from all over the world speaking all different languages hear in their own language. And they are converted and are baptized. They are converted and saved and then are baptized that very day. And then there's this summary that is Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47 of what happens then to all these folks that are a brand new first ever church. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to what? The apostles' teaching to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, 
and to prayer. Four things that that first church committed themselves to, devoted them to themselves to the apostles' teaching. So Jesus had spent time with these brothers. Jesus had instructed them, and they had seen him, and they knew his manner. And so that was the first thing, the apostles' teaching. To fellowship, it says there in that translation. I like the one that adds the word the. That literally means to the body of believers. To the breaking of bread, that is to hanging out with body of believers or sharing meals with others, even if they're not believers in Jesus. Because in relationships, that's when the gospel goes across those bridges. You see Jesus doing that again and again and again, the power of a meal together and to prayer. These are four things that should be distinctive of any church gathered together and in worship. The essentials of a first church. If you were to consider our church right now. Now, if you're our guest, consider the church of which you're a member. And you were to rank those four things. Teaching or preaching. Fellowship, that is, together. Breaking of bread, i.e. doing life together. And a prayer. How would you rank them? You know, would you say, oh, this one's number one, this one's number two, this one's number three, and this one's a way back number four? And how would that influence you as a church member here and as a member of a Sunday school class and as somebody who can, any of you can, call me up, text me, email me and say, Pastor, we need to do better at this because I guarantee you we do. We need to do a better job at praying together as a body of believers. We have various prayer groups that meet throughout the week. We have a prayer chain email. We pray together in here. You pray, many of you, in your Sunday school classes. But can we pray more and better? That's a whole other sermon, and we're going to get to that more uh, in, in a bit. But as a group, can we do that? Yes, we can is the answer, but how? And are you willing to take the time to do it? So... Preaching the Word is our first point. Number two on your outline is read the Word. Read the Word. Now, there are some churches, liturgical churches, that do a pretty amazing job by having a thing called the lectionary. And it tells the pastor, here's the scriptures you can choose from to read in your worship service any day of the month, or excuse me, any Uh, Sunday of the year, and it also prescribes for the pastor, this is the sermon or scripture you're going to preach about, and probably even gives him a manuscript for it, depending on if you buy a book for that. And so if you go to any United Methodist church that's following the lectionary, and most of them are, you go to your church one Sunday, you go to another church the next Sunday, they're doing the very next scripture, and it fits together, and it feels nice. They do a better job than us, I believe, in reading the Word. They're going to read a gospel text. They're going to read one from the epistles or the New Testament. They're going to read one from the Old Testament. And we don't read as broadly as a church as a whole because we tend to focus our sermon more on God's Word. So I shouldn't say they do a better job than us. I should say they do it differently than us. Turn back to 1 Timothy. So 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13. Again, the first letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, his son in the ministry. And listen as he gives these instructions throughout chapter 4. He says in verse 13, Until I come, i.e. I'm returning, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Paul specifically calls out for his mentor, his son in the ministry, to devote himself, commit himself to preaching 
and teaching, but specifically he started with reading of Scripture. Now, why would that be in that day and time? In that day and time, um, there were no iPhones or you know iPads in which you had Scripture available in lots of versions in the palm of your hand. There weren't even uh, paper Bibles available. So they needed to publicly read Scripture because a church would be lucky to have one copy of some sort of scroll, just a portion of the Bible. I mean, so they needed to read it out loud for people to hear it. The other reason might have been literacy. It may have been that a large majority of church members, depending on their class or their status, were illiterate. So you needed one person who knew how to read with the one copy of Scripture you had to read it to everybody else. So yes, there was a greater importance in that day and time, but you know what? Even today, we all have copies of Scripture, and most all of us can read them, at least on a level that we know what's going on. But here's my question. How many of us do it on our own? How many of us have a habit that daily we put aside everything else, turn off all the distractions of electronics or radio or television, and try to get aside quietly where we read God's Word for ourselves and focus on it? You see, even today, there's an importance of the reading of Scripture publicly in order to help us focus on it. Which leads me to a definition. Now, I could have given you this earlier, but I wanted to put it in here now. And I've said it before, but you want to write this down. Worship is when we focus our mind's attention and our heart's affection on God. Our mind's attention and our heart's affection on God. And you think about what happens when you sit under preaching whether it's sitting here in this place or whether you're listening to a pastor uh, via podcast or on the radio or something like that. It's the time in which you turn off your mouth and although your mind is thinking of how you might respond and processing the words and thoughts and how the Holy Spirit is communicating with your spirit, and you listen and you focus your mind's attention, hopefully. And therefore, I pray you focus your heart's affection as well on what you are hearing and how God is speaking to you through Scripture. That's why the preaching, that's why the reading of Scripture is so important. Come with me to Colossians chapter 4. So you've just got to turn a few pages to your left to get through First uh, and Second Thessalonians to get to Colossians chapter 4. And just an example here. So in the... Final greetings, the send-off of Paul's letter to the church in Colossae. He says in the midst of them in chapter 4, verse 16, After this letter has been read to you, because see, he actually wrote it as a letter to this church at Colossae and said, here's the issues you need to be aware of, and here's how you need to behave better, and here's some theology you need to know. And he says, after this letter has been read to you, you see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And that you, in turn, read the letter from Laodicea. Now, we don't have that letter. Not in Scripture anywhere. But what Paul is saying, I wrote them a letter, I wrote you guys a letter. You read your letter, they read their letter, then you switch. So you can learn from one another. What Paul is teaching by example and principle here is the public reading of God's Word. He's saying you need to read God's Word because you need to know God's Word in order that you might live God's Word. Even... Today, 
Did you know that personal Bible reading is the single most effective thing you can do to change your life? If you're looking at, man, I need to change my life, whatever bad habit you've got, whatever thing is getting you down, the number one thing I'm going to tell you as a pastor, or I'll ask you, is are you reading the Bible or engaging Scripture on your own? Because it can also be hearing. How do we know this? The folks for the Center for Bible Engagement, Back to the Bible, right here in Lincoln, Nebraska, have done extensive studies on this. And out of any Christian discipline you can pursue, the one that is most effective for you to have real life change in any area of your life, whether it's a sinful habit or whether it's your thought life or whether it's anxiety, depression, any area of your life will be affected by reading Scripture. And they found out as they've tested it and delved down at least four times a week, at least ten minutes, you need to engage Scripture. You got 168 hours in a week. You got 40 minutes you can give to God's Word? Sure you do. It'll change your life, friends. If you will do it, God's Word will change you. I pray that you will. And I use that word on purpose to lead us to number three. Number three on your outline is pray the Word. Pray the Word. Come back over to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And if you know God's word, you're going, oh, I know what Matthew chapter 6, 11 is. It's the Lord's prayer. The disciples say, Lord, teach us to pray. And so he teaches them how to pray. And the Lord's prayer is a model for all other prayers. And we've walked through that before. And I even taught it at children's camp last year. So our evangelical boys and girls would know the depth of that. And it says, our Father in heaven, verse 9, hallowed be your name. It's about worshiping him. Your kingdom come. It's about his sovereignty. Your will be done, his power, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. That's the one I want to look at for just a second. And there's a principle behind Matthew 6.11 I want you to see. And that is that God cares about your needs. God cares about your needs. You know, sometimes we get in this habit of thinking, well, God only cares about spiritual things, you know, and if I sin and if I go to church and, you know, that sort of thing. You know, God cares about your needs. He cares about whether you have a job, whether you have income, whether you're sick, whether you've got a relationship issue. He cares about anything and everything. And give us this day our daily bread as God provide for us our needs. And it's a type or it's a picture. Bread is of everything we need, not just food. Anything we need, God cares for. And that's why Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. Not our daily fish, not our daily water, but bread. If you look at what bread is symbolic of in the Bible, it's symbolic of life. And it's praying to God to say, give me everything I need. If you go throughout the Bible, you see other uh, prayers like that. In 3 John verse 2, it says there's a prayer for good health. In Romans 10.1, it's a prayer for con the conversion of the lost. Romans 15.5 um, is a prayer for unity in the church. Philippians 1, 9 through 11 is uh, a prayer that the love and the spiritual fruit of a church would be increased. Colossians 1, 11 and 12 is a prayer for endurance and patience under trial. James 5, 14 and 16 is a prayer, how to pray for fellow Christians. So God tells us how to pray and what to pray and that that should be everything in our lives. There's not a single thing you can't pray for. Not a single thing you shouldn't pray for. Well, let me make a disclaimer there. Other than something that you know is against God's word. 
I mean, you could pray for it, but I don't believe you'll get an answer for it, not the way you're praying for it if you're praying what's contrary to what's revealed in Scripture. So we pray for the provisions. Now, look at your second Scripture there is Ephesians. So turn back to Ephesians through the Gospels, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, and Ephesians. Get to Ephesians chapter 1. This is a prayer. Verse 15, it says, For this reason, since I've heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And then he says what I'm praying for, what he's praying for for the church at Ephesus. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. So Paul prays for this church that A sovereign God would give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation, i.e. they'll understand things, they'll know things on a spiritual level, so that you may succeed at business better, so that people will think you're cool and popular. No, so that you may know Him better. God reveals Himself to us through His Word in order that we may know Him better. Most of us in our prayers come to God with a specific question. God, would you tell me, should I choose job A or choose job B? And so what you're trying to find is God's way, but in order to know God's way, you've got to know God's purposes. And in order to know God's purposes, you've got to know God. And how do you do that? By spending time with Him in His Word. And when you know Him better, then you'll know His revelation, then you'll see His wisdom, and then you'll know His guidance So friends, everything you need is rooted in a relationship with God through His Word in prayer. Let's go on with that passage of Scripture, verse 18. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Now we know physically our our hearts don't have eyeballs. That would be a little weird. I mean, what would they see, the inside of our chest? Or would we have to, you know, have special shirts or something? That the eyes of our heart spiritually may be enlightened in order that, that's a so that, you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and His incomparably great power for us who believe. Hope, riches, and power. Life is pretty hard. And there are some of you that I know when you came in today and you shook hands, you said, I'm fine, how are you? You were lying. You want to know where you get some hope? You want to know where you get riches? You want to know where you find power? Right here. Right here in God's Word. As you read it and as you pray it and as we gather together and worship and talk about it, it should fill you with the ability Not just to make it through the week, because I pray that you're not fasting yourself and only studying and reading God's Word on Sundays. I mean, who could live all week with only one meal? But it should encourage you by the study of God's Word. So the Bible teaches us that we can and should pray for anything other than what's contrary to what's revealed in His Word. And we do it individually. We do it as we gather together. We do it by sharing our prayer requests with one another. But we pray the word. So we preach the word, read the word. We gather together. We pray. We pray God's word back to him. And number four on your outline is sing the word. Sing the word. You know, we don't use them that often. 
because we got these big screens and we got other songs that aren't in them. But there's those, those kind of bluish books in front of you, you know, the ones that match the pews. If you pull it out, it says the Baptist hymnal, right? If you just flip it open to any page and you see those stanzas on there, but at the top is the title of the song, and then there's a scripture inserted, a brief one that's one or two lines long. And if you look in the lyrics of that song, you may even see that very scripture reflected in those lyrics. Or at least you know that those lyrics reflect that scripture. When we sing together, if we're not straight out singing scripture, which we do some of that on occasion, we sing scripture that is rooted in, based on, attached to, or excuse me, we sing songs that are rooted in, based on, attached to scripture. We sing the word. So you were in Ephesians, just turn over a page or two to Colossians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So a few pages to the right. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, in verse 15, I'll start one verse earlier to get the paragraph. It says, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Can I get an amen? And then, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, as you teach and admonish one another. How do you teach and admonish one another according to this passage of Scripture? With all wisdom... And as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Now, some churches might use, you know, drama. That's great to illustrate. We could use interpretive dance. We could use video. We could use all sorts of creative means in order to communicate the truth of the Bible when we come together in a worship service. But none of those means, although they are great, are in Scripture. Scripture tells us to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So if you've ever wondered, why do we just listen to preaching and sing at church? Because the Bible tells us to preach and sing at church, amen? So we're doing what the Bible says every time we gather together. The Bible tells us to pray together in church. The Bible tells us to give together in church. The Bible tells us to share together in church. And we do these things because it's what Scripture teaches us. Now you're in Colossians, turn back a few pages to Ephesians, back to your left to Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5, and uh, I think I might have referenced verse 18, but it's actually 19 and 20, so that's my mistake, forgive me, I, I published that wrong on my notes, verse 19 and 20 is what you want to reference, so scratch out the 18 if it's on your notes, it says, speak to one another with psalms hymns and spiritual songs, sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to the God and Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That our very lives and the way we talk to others ought to be with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now, you might be going, well, I'm not Myra. I can't play the guitar and my singing voice is not that good. Or, you know, I'm not... Ariel or Rebecca, I can't play the flute and I certainly can't play the piano. You don't have to know a musical instrument. And you don't have to have the best voice. Scripture doesn't qualify that your voice sounds good. It qualifies that you use it. That you speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And like we say, you make a joyful noise. It's in Scripture as well. What that noise is, well, we'll leave that up to you. The fifth and final point on your outline this morning 
is that we see the word. Now, this one you might be looking at, unless you know these scriptures, and you might be going, what do you mean, see the word, Pastor Aaron? I mean, we know you hold the Bible in your hand, and you show it to us, and you point to it, and you gesture with it while you're preaching your sermons. But what do you mean, see the word? Well, if you hadn't got there already, turn over to Romans chapter 6 with me. Romans chapter 6. So, again, back to your left through First and Second Corinthians. You get to the book of Romans there. Romans chapter 6. Love this scripture. Let me just read it. What then, or what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live it any longer? Or do we know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Baptism is something that we do together. And baptism symbolizes God's word. And we see what God's word says of our new life enacted in front of us. We have behind the drum kit there a baptistry. A few weeks, month, we'll celebrate the baptism of some new believers who are ready to be baptized. And we do that as part of our public worship service so that all of us as a church can affirm their new life as witnesses with them. I mean, I've baptized people in bathtubs, in swimming pools, in lakes, in ponds, you name it. But we always want a body of believers to be there. And we certainly want people who are not yet believers in Jesus to be there to see symbolize the buried in an old life and raised to walk a new life. It's symbolic of God's Word. So that's Romans chapter 6. Turn over to 1 Corinthians, so a few pages to your right. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 26. We'll get there in our discovery class at the Sunday school hour today. Those of you that are coming to discovery class with me, this is in there. Because we talk about baptism and the Lord's Supper and how Southern Baptists understand them differently from other denominations. And what does it say in verse 23? For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. So again, Paul teaching a church, here's how you do this. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, so uh, the last supper we know it as, but as a model for the Lord's Supper, took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. If we had the Lord's Supper table out here, it has printed on the front of it, this do in remembrance of me. It's a quote of that line, that when we observe the Lord's Supper, that the broken cracker, or the little unleavened cracker, is symbolic of Jesus' broken body. Verse 25, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. That it's symbolic. We know Jesus didn't bleed into a cup literally, but he said the wine in this cup is symbolic of my blood. He says, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That word proclaim is interesting. It's the same word for what I'm doing right now. Preaching. He says when you Observe the Lord's Supper, you're preaching that message 
that Jesus died for us and he's coming back for us. It's a visualization of God's word and of the message, and that's why we do it together. So, yes, Brother Larry Zimmerman, one of our deacons, visits one of our assisted living facilities here in town. And I know others of you have and may regularly, and maybe I just don't know about it, and take the Lord's Supper to folks who can't come to join together with us in worship and visiting shut-ins homes or other things like that so that the Lord's Supper is observed and it's symbolic of what is yet to come. It's a visual proclamation, a physical proclamation of God's Word. So we've talked about the preaching of God's word, the reading of the word, hearing, singing, and seeing. And we need to get to your scripture memory verse of the month. Now, John, I skipped that earlier. Can you go back to that? Yeah, it's on the top of your outline, but here we've got it here. I should have told John I was going to give him the slip on this one, but he's quick. Thank you. And I want us to read it together as our conclusion. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. That word day is capitalized because it's talking about Christ's return the last day of this earth as we know it. And this scripture tells us that we should gather together to worship. And it reminds us of spurring one another on, loving one another as we do that and not giving up that habit as we come together to preach, read, pray, sing, and see and act God's word. This is why we gather together to worship. Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you for the privilege that we get to come together to worship you. You've blessed us to live in a nation which allows us the freedom of worship. You've blessed us that most every one of us here have trusted Jesus as our personal Savior and Lord and are inhabited with the Holy Spirit. And you've blessed those here who are not yet believers in Jesus, that they're here with so many that are, and that they've heard God's word. And we pray they've been convicted of their own sinfulness, and they would decide to repent and turn from that sinfulness even now, that they too might be saved to eternal life and abundant life. So God, here we are. And we thank you that we can come together as a church to worship. You've given us this wonderful facility to worship in. Great folks to lead us in worship with their musical talent. And that all of us together when we lift our voices can do things together in praising you. That we can't do it quite the same when we're alone. So Father we acknowledge the privilege of worshiping you. And we pray now that you would move by your spirit as we respond in these songs of invitation.